I'd like to take a few minutes and set the stage of what happened prior to 2 Samuel chapter 6. To do that properly, we must go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel fights against the Philistines and loses 4,000 men. They decide to go out and get their lucky charm, the Ark of the Covenant. There was a great shout in Israel's camp when the Ark got there. But in the ensuing battle, 30,000 Israeli foot soldiers died. 30,000. The Ark of God was captured by the Philistine army. A messenger goes back to Shiloh and tells everyone about the defeat, and he tells Eli. Eli was heavy. In Mount Vernon, we would say heavy set. He was heavy. And 98 years old and sitting at the city gate. When Eli hears that both of his sons, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured, he falls over, breaks his neck, and dies. Phineas's wife hears all this. She's pregnant. She goes into labor and delivers a son, but is distraught. She hears that her husband, her brother-in-law, her father-in-law are all dead, and 30,000 Israeli foot soldiers are also dead, and the ark of God has been captured. She dies in childbirth, but lives long enough to name the boy, you know this, Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. In 1 Samuel 5 and 6 are just as great, and you need to read them for yourself. It's the story of Dagon and the tumors and rats. Some say it was bubonic plague, uh, and uh, others say it was tumors in their secret parts. In Mount Vernon, they say they had hemorrhoids, but another way. It's in there. You better read it for yourself. You better read it. For seven months, the ark was in the land of the Philistines, and they every city the ark went, the inhabitants got ill with either bubonic plague or tumors in their inner parts or, Gary, that's it. I didn't make him say that. He's just listening. They decided, after going to seven cities, in all seven cities this breaks out, they decided to send the ark back on a new cart and two milking cows with calves and those those uh, cows made a beeline for Israel, 12 miles away. They see the ark, the Israelis see the ark coming, and they can't believe it. And they park the ark. That's a fun thing to say fast. Park the ark. Turn to somebody and say, park the ark. Park the ark. They park the ark in kerjeth Jerim. For 20 years, it stays at Abinadab's house. 20 years. 
And that's in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 and 2. Now here's where we pick up the text of this morning. And where you need, you need to listen carefully to this important story about four different people. Four different people. But I want you to know that the ark represents what? The presence of God. It was never meant to be a lucky charm, but it represented the presence of God. Think Raiders of the Lost Ark, only more biblical, okay? Got it? All right, you got it. Ready to go? You got your notepad out? No? The first person we want to talk about is Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A-H. People don't name their kids Uzzah these days. The lesson we can learn from Uzzah is Uzzah tried to guide the presence. Say guide the presence. The scripture, the story of Uzzah was he was one of the sons of Abinadab. The ark had been at his house for 20 years. Probably had it out in the barn. In 1 Samuel 7, 1 and 2, Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, what happened to Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, where the ark had been parked for 20 years? I'm glad you asked that question. God was not pleased when they started out. Why? Because they weren't handling the ark of God properly. How many of you know there are holy things? There are holy things and were to handle them in a holy manner. But the ark, the, uh, the cart where the ark was, the cow stumbled. And here is Uzzah's error. He became comfortable with the presence. He became comfortable with the presence. He'd been around it for 20 years. Him and his brother would go out to the barn to play, and there would be the ark of God, and they would play, and they would go around the ark of God, and they just got used to the ark of God being around. Here's what Uzzah did in his error. He tried to guide God. He tried to guide God. He tried to steady God's moving. He tried to do the right thing, but did it in the wrong way. Can I tell you, as a worshiper, you have no right to try and direct God. To try to say, no God, not this way, this way. You don't lead God, God leads you. You don't direct God, God directs you. Can I get in trouble here? I, I, 
I'm not on the calendar to come back and preach so I can say this, I guess. Just because you've been around the church for 20 years gives you no right, no advantage, no preference with a holy God. I, I better say that again because I don't think some of you are listening. Can I say it again? Just because you've been around the church work or church for 20 years, it gives you no right, no advantage, no preference with a holy God. Uzzah tried to guide the presence. You don't guide the presence. The presence guides you. Number two, ready? This is a great chapter. Uzzah tried to guide the presence. There's another person in this chapter, Obed-Edom. How many of you have ever heard of anybody's name being Obed-Edom? All right, we got a Uzzah, we got a Obed-Edom. Nobody named, maybe some of you should name your cats or dogs Obed-Edom. You know, you're going to want to bring back this name. It's a good name. You know why? Obed-Edom tried to guard the presence. When that happened with Uzzah, they turned aside and dropped off the ark at Obed-Edom's house. It remained there for three months. Everything Obed-Edom did for those three months was blessed. It was blessed because of God's presence. The report came to King David, the ark of God is at Obed-Edom's house and everything's being blessed. David said, I got it. I got to have that ark. So David comes and knocks at Obed-Edom's door. Didn't sound like that. David says, Obed-Edom, I've come for the ark. I'm coming to bring it to Jerusalem. Obed-Edom's response was this. Hold on, king. Hold on just a minute. Honey, King David's here for the ark. Go call Century One. We're moving. If you had your Bible, you could see that's not in there, but I'm, you know. We're moving. Put the whole place up for sale. We're moving with the ark. Obed-Edom knew something about living with the presence for three months. There's nothing like living with the blessing of God. Somebody say amen. There's nothing like living with the blessing of God. Wherever he leads, I'll follow. You need to learn that in your life story today. You, as you qualify before him as a worshiper, what happened to Obed-Edom? I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's not the end of Obed-Edom. Did you know that? That's not the end of the story for Obed-Edom. As a matter of fact, you want this? He, back in Jerusalem, when the ark gets there, he volunteers 
as one of the doormen in the tabernacle. It's where we get the old expression, and some of you people that are older than me would know this, used to say, I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord. That's Obed-Edom. Because the next time we read about Obed-Edom, he's a doorman in the house of the Lord. I'll take you to the scripture, 1 Chronicles 26 and 12. The divisions of the gatekeepers through their chief men had duties for ministering in the table of the Lord, just as their relatives had. Lots were cast at each gate, according to their families, young and old alike. The lot of the east gate fell to Shemilah. Then lots were cast for his son, Zechariah, a wise counselor. And the lot for the north gate fell to him. The lot for the south gate fell to Obed-Edom. And the lot for the storehouse fell to his sons. The lots of the west gate, and it goes on from there. In First Chronicles 16, 37, David left Ashba and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly, according to each day's requirements. Verse 38, he, David also left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jethram, and Hosea were gatekeepers. Here's what we learned from Obed-Edom. Once you've been in his presence, there's nowhere else you want to be. There's nowhere else you want to be. I just want to be around the Lord. I don't know about you. I've been other places, but I want to be where God is. I want to be in the presence daily. I want to live where he lives. I want to go where he goes. I just want to be around him. Some of the older folks knew that every time the church doors were open, they were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service, they were there. Why? They've learned the secret of the scripture. They've learned the secret of Obed-Edom. I just want to live in his presence. I just want to be around his presence. Matter of fact, there's an old song. Uh, where's past, Bears Pastor Nate? Would you stand with me? We're not done. We're not done. Say, whoosh. we're not done. You know this song. Pastor Nate, please.
into the holy of holy places. Wait a minute, you're not getting in there. Hang on a minute, your hands are not clean. You're not coming into the presence. I'm here to guard the presence. I'm here to guard the presence of God in my life, and I'm here to make sure that you don't come before the presence of God with sin in your life. And I'm going to stand guard. I'm willing to leave every... I left my home. I left my place. I moved my whole family up here to Jerusalem just to be in his presence. Just to be in his presence. I know people when they get relocated in a job, before they go looking for a house, they go looking for a church. They want to be in a place where the presence is. How many want to be and live with the presence day in and day out? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Now, you're, all of you are too old to understand what uh, those Jericho marches were all about and what people would be moving around the altar. And you know what? Being Obed-Edom, guarding the presence. 
I'm going to guard the presence every day in my life. I'm going to move as the Spirit directs me to move. People may not like it. People may think I'm weird. That's okay. I know some weird people too. Mount Vernon, Gary. Uh, but I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. I'm, gonna, I'm going to move. I'm going to guard the presence in my life. How many would say, yes, Pastor Bob, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Hallelujah. I only have two hours left. You may be seated. It's better than one day in your courts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Well, we talked about Uzzah. We talked about Obed-Edom. I want to talk about another person in that chapter. King David. David realized something was missing. It was the ark of God. David had to have God's presence. And you know what? David didn't say, well, God knows where I live. When he wants to get through to me, he can show up at my house. That's not what David did. Well, if God wants to tell me something, he knows my phone number. If God wants to tell me something, he knows where I live. That's not what King David did. You know what King David did? He went out and to get the presence. He went out to get the presence in his life. He had a passionate pursuit of the presence of God. You need a passionate pursuit of King Jesus in your life. How many of you know what life without Christ in your life is like? You don't ever want to go back there, do you? Matter of fact, you want to make sure if God is moving, I got to get there. I got to get me some of that. I've got to be there. So David said, I'm going to bring the glory home. I like that. If you're writing things down, write that down. I'm going to bring the glory home with me. You ever have a good church service and you go home and the presence of God is there and you sense an anointing in your house and a presence in your house? And you say, Jesus, you're welcome here all the time, all the time. So he set out to bring the glory home, to go and get the presence. He took just 30,000 men with him. The ark wasn't that big. Listen, he took 30,000 men with him. And once they got the ark, handling it the proper way, they stopped Every six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hold it. And they would sacrifice. They would sacrifice some lambs and a bull every six paces. They were going, their destination from... Uh, where the ark was to Jerusalem was six miles. You figure that out, some of you math majors. Figure that out, some of you livestock people, and find out that's a heap amount of bulls and a whole lot of sheeps. Sheep. Sheeps. It's a whole lot of them. They wanna, David wanted to do it the right way, 
David wanted to do it God's way, there was an expense to the sacrifice. Hello? There was, listen to me. There was an expense to the sacrifice. A lot of people offer God something that didn't cost them anything. Got quiet in church, didn't it? They offer God something that didn't cost them anything. If you're going to offer to God the best, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It's better to cost you something, and you pay that expense, that sacrifice up front, than see your kids running around and your grandchildren chasing after things that aren't of God. Where, Oh, God, where would I go wrong? I tried to serve you without expense, and that's wrong. Got quiet in church. Wow. Do you, are you quiet like this when Pastor Dan preaches? I won't offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. There was the expense of the sacrifice. There was the expense of having 30,000 men carried along with you. There was the expense of time. Can I put it in a shortened phrase? To the degree you are seriously committed to the Lord, he will be faithful back to you and more besides. I'll say it again. To the degree you are seriously committed to the Lord, he will be faithful to you and more besides. David gets to Jerusalem and he starts to dance around and twirl and there's 30,000 men there. There's the people in Jerusalem there. There was great joy there. He's dancing with nothing but his tunic on. The lessons from King David? You're responsible to get the glory in your life. You're responsible to get the glory in, well, that's a pastor's job to bring the glory. No, no, dear heart. No, you are responsible to say, I got to get me some of the glory of God in my life. And I don't care what it costs me. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care what I have to do. I know what living without the presence is like. I want the presence in my life. I want the presence in my house. I want the presence on my children, on my grandchildren, on your cats and dogs too. It's another story. You're responsible to get the glory into your life. And once the glory arrives, your heart will be glad. Your heart will be glad. Uzzah tried to guide the glory. Obed-Edom guarded the glory. David had to get the glory. One more. You want one more? If you say no, I can go sit down. That's it. You want, to, you want more? Okay. How about Michael? She's the grumbling in the glory. She's the grumbler in the glory. 2 Samuel 6, 16. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. You know, if you get happy in the Lord, there will be people in the church. Oh, look at that. Look at that person acting that way. Look at that person. What do they think they're doing? 
in 2 Samuel 6 and 20, then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, you can hear the sarcasm in her voice, can't you? How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself before the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. It smacks of sarcasm, does it not? Let me tell you about the grumbling Michael. In the scripture here, she is referred to not as David's wife, but as Saul's daughter. Both places, it's there. Not the wife of King David, the daughter of Saul. Does that tell you something? Oh, yeah. She didn't like the way David behaved as the king. She was unaffected by the presence. She was unaffected by the ark. She was humiliated by David's actions. What is that? Pride. Pride. Can I tell you what else about Michael? She was unable to conceive. She bore no children. She's referred to as not David's wife, but as Saul's daughter. She does not bear a child. This bloodline stops here. Can I tell you something? The grumbler in the church is upset when people love God more than them. The grumbler in the church sees God moving, sees you with the presence in your life, enjoying the presence, marching back and forth, guarding the presence, dancing around. Do we dance in church anymore? You remember the people that used to love the Lord so much in yesteryear, they'd get the Holy Ghost and start dancing and running and shouting and leaping. Where'd that go? Where'd that go? Pride. God made it so that bloodline did not continue. Unable to reproduce. What was David's response? It wasn't before you. It wasn't before those maidservants. It was before the Lord I was dancing. God cho- And David says this, God chose me over your father in his household. I'm God's leader despite what you say. Despite how much you grumble, I'm the person God's put me in that position as the leader of Israel, and I don't care what you think. There's three, three-point sermon right there. I will worship and play music. I don't know if you do this. You put on music in your house. You put it on loud. You find yourself moving around in the presence of God coming. Secondly, I will be even more undignified than this. I don't care how it looks. 
I don't care what other people say. I've got the presence in my life, and I'm going to enjoy it because my heart's glad. And I will be humble in my own eyes. I'll be humble in my own eyes. That's a great three-point sermon. David says, because I have a passion for God, even the maidservants will respect me. And I don't care what other people think. Say that out loud. I don't care what other people think. Let's wrap up today. Who are you most like? Are you like Uzzah, trying to guide God, trying to steer God, trying to tell, steady God, tell God which way to go? Think God needs a little bit of help? Or are you like Obed-Edom, guarding the presence in your life? I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than anything else. I just want to be in his presence. Are you like King David, doing anything to get the presence of God in your life? Whether you're going to spend anything, don't care what it costs, don't care how long it takes, going to get the presence of God. Or are you like Michael, grumbling about things, finding fault with stuff, anything, everything, just grumbling? If you don't change, that bloodline stops. If you're a grumbler, your kids aren't going to serve God, and neither are your grandchildren. And you're going to wonder, wonder why they don't serve God. They've heard the grumbler going. Ooh, ouch. You could say amen or ouch. Time to pray. Would you join me? Father, today, search our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Put your finger on which one applies to us. Lord, may we have a heart and a passion with you. And I thank you for what you're about to do in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Everyone standing. There's an old song that I like, and I'd like everybody to step out and come around the altar this morning. Because in the presence of Jehovah, troubles vanish. He's the Prince of Peace. Would you step out, please? Pastor Nate, would you lead us? Very simple chorus. It goes like this. In the presence Let's worship him.
Sing it again, would you? I need your presence in my life today. For what's happened this week. For what's going to happen next week. God, it's in your presence. It's in your presence. I want to live. I want to stay. I want your presence to go with me, to go before me. I've got to be around you, and I want you around me. No one can touch like you. This has just been for me today. I don't know if anybody else, but this has just been for me. I, I, I've got problems. My family has problems. But you know what? I, I want that presence. I want to be Obed-Edom. I, I want to be King David. I don't want to be Uzzah trying to guide God. I don't want to be like Michael, grumbling. But I want to be like Obed-Edom. I want to be like King David. I'm going to pray for you. You have needs this week. Something's come up this week or it's facing you next week. I just want to have prayer with you. If you want to lift your hand, say, that's me. Somebody, would you look around, put your hand on their shoulder. Father God, we agree. We agree for your presence. We agree, God, that you can break through any situation. We agree for healing, God. Touch sick bodies, Jesus. Touch our loved ones that are ill. God, touch our own bodies that are weak and feeble, and God needs your touch. God, we believe and we ask as your children. We want to live in your presence, Jesus. We want your presence to go before us, to be upon us. We want your spirit to direct us, and God, we need wisdom from heaven today. So we agree in the place of prayer for your hand. We agree, Lord, that we want to be like Obed-Edom. We want to be like King David. We don't want to be Uzzah trying to direct you. You direct us, Spirit of God. And we don't want to ever be like Michael, grumbling in the midst of your moving. 
God, permeate our hearts, penetrate our minds, help us to think more like your word thinks instead of like we think. I pray a blessing over this congregation. I pray supernatural giftings happen. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be a change because of your presence in our life. I pray, Lord, if it means we get up and move and guard your presence, or if we start dancing before you, Lord, Lord, we want to do that because we don't care. We don't care how it looks. But God, we want to be people of your presence. Now I pray a blessing over these people. May this week be different, be better. We know the devil will rage, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So bless your people. Thank you for them. Thank you for this opportunity to be with them and share your word. Bless them, we pray, in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God's going to do a great thing. He's going to do a great thing in your life this week. God bless you as you go.